0: Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Peresta, and I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're at home, in your car, in the shower, or wherever else you're listening, grab your cup of coffee or whatever other beverage is nearby and listen in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you back today. I am so excited about today's guest. Teresa Hoover is amazing. We have connected a million times on social media land and everywhere else. I can't even remember the first time I have met her, but she's awesome. And I'm so glad to have her here today. So we're going to start off by just letting her tell you a little bit more
1: about herself. So welcome to the podcast, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to good to be here. Um, so I'm a music teacher. I've been teaching for 19 years. I started out in Pennsylvania and I've been down here in Northern Virginia, so right outside Washington, DC, for the last five years. Um, my bachelor's is a music ed from Penn State, and then I have a master's in wind conducting from Westchester University. While I'm mostly an instrumental music teacher, I've taught a little bit of everything. So I've done elementary general music, I've done high school band, middle school, choir, orchestra, you know, a little bit of all of it. Um, And one thing that I was really interested in for a while was how instrumental music teachers could work with general music teachers to really enhance the experience for the students. So I feel like I said I've got a, a little bit of everything as far as my background goes. Um, also really interested in technology and how that can fit into the music room. Um, I'm a Google trainer and Google innovator. I also work with NoteFlight in um, training teachers on how to use the NoteFlight Learn platform. Um, and I guess the my other passion, I think I have a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> is uh, is giving students ownership and and how we can empower them. And I guess that's what we'll talk about more today. Oh, yes. And I'm really excited about this
0: conversation. I get asked this question a lot. How do you do that? Like, what does that even mean? And so we're going to expand on that today. And so like she said, we're going to talk about empowering music students in the student-centered music room. So let's start off by just the conversation, what does empowering students mean to you or mean for any music educator listening today?
1: So when I think about empowering students, the idea is that you're giving them ownership and you're giving them ownership, not only just of of little things in the classroom, but of the music making process. So as a, again, primarily instrumental person, I often think about it from like a band perspective. Usually the conductor will Research music, choose the pieces, um, study the scores, decide how to teach it, teach the students how to play the music, rehearse the band, get up to the concert, conduct the concert, turn around, take a bow, mm-hmm. and that's all the teacher did. All of that, but where, where was the student musicianship? Right, where were the students making musical decisions, and where were the students taking any kind of ownership over that process? Right, everything that I said, the teacher did. So in that situation, What what's really normal for most of us is a very teacher-directed experience. So the question with student ownership is how can we flip that and how can we give students ownership over parts of that process so that the decisions weren't being made for them, so they weren't just replicating what the director t- said to do, but yet they were really making the music their own mm-hmm.
0: so what are some practical ways that music teachers can do that because i know it is, there's so many requirements as you are aware put on music teachers and they're like well i have to get through all my objectives or only see my students for a short amount of time how do you do that with how did you do that with your students
1: I mean, the, the easiest place to start, in my opinion, is the idea of voice and choice. And I feel like we hear about that a lot these days in education is giving students voice and choice. Um, and when you're when you're honoring student voice, it's the idea that you're letting students know that, first of all, their voice matters, that you want to hear what they have to say you're interested in their opinions that they're um, you know, the things that they say are important, but then you're also listening to their voice in what direction maybe their learning path should take. So if your objective is something like keeps a steady beat, how can the student show you that, right? Does it have to be one way or are there many ways that a student could show you that, right? So that's part of student voice. And then it also goes into choice, giving them choices in how they do things. And you start off by giving a choice and pick A or B. Do you want to do this warm up or that warm up, <laughs> right? And then maybe the next class you add a third warm up to the option. And then maybe a couple weeks later it's okay. We need to do some vocal warm ups today. How should we start? What would you like to do? And just by giving them that little bit of a, of a choice, you're giving them ownership. And you can think about like us as adults, right? Anytime that we have a choice, we feel better about the situation. Mm -hmm. If you're told by your principal, you must attend this PD on Wednesday afternoon, whether it's relevant to you or not, how are you going to feel about that? But Mm -hmm. if your principal says, okay, you could attend this one about technology, this about literacy, or you could attend this about classroom management, you're going to suddenly feel better because, well, at least my, my voice mattered. I had a choice in what I was going to, to go to. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's the same with our kids. How can you honor their voices? How can you give them a choice? So it's, it starts really small, but that's the, the best way to, to enter into it. When
0: you were talking, I was thinking about teachers, who sometimes just have a hard time with this, I feel, because they're just kind of, I've always done things a certain way, or this is the way I was taught to do it, or uh, I don't want to be my a friend with my students, I need to be the leader. And all, all of this, I feel like is like, let's validate those points. I completely understand because I think sometimes trying something new or reframing the way, you know, when you, you know, I think of it like a facilitator in your classroom, you're facilitating the learning happening, it doesn't have to always just be you at the front of the class, like you mentioned, um, doing the same thing in a row that you've always done. So teachers that are listening that that are like, oh, this sounds so cool, but I've always done it this way. I've always had my system down. I've always had my flow down. What do you encourage them? How do you encourage them to kind of step out of that box and not be so, um, I don't know how else to say it, but stuck in their ways that the way they've always done things?
1: Yeah. The way you have always done things is easy. That's Mm. that's absolutely. Um, But the kids, first of all, the kids aren't the same as they've always been. Right. We know that kids are changing. We know that things are changing. We know that we need more. And I guess for me, a lot of it also came back to my, why, like Mm -hmm. why was this important to me? And for me, I saw kids who would come into my classroom and sure they loved music. And then they walked out of my classroom and that was it. Like music happened in my classroom. And that's the only time that they saw themselves as musical. Mm -hmm. But when you can start giving them that ownership and when they can start feeling like the music is more than just something that happens in your classroom, that's really powerful. Oh, yeah. So I, I remember back to my why whenever I'm like, oh, this is so much work or something mm-hmm. like that, because I want my students to be musicians in my classroom and out of my classroom. Yeah. I want my students to you know, be adults who aren't afraid to sing and in, can like look back fondly about when they played an instrument. Maybe they encourage their own children to play instruments because it was such a meaningful experience or goodness, they're on the school board and they're talking about cutting music. Mm. <laughs> and this, you know, But they, they feel so strongly about music that they can't imagine a world without it. That's and I so think when sad. we can give the kids the ownership, they're gonna have that. It's not just something that we do for 45 minutes a week. It's something that's part of us. Yeah. So the first thing I would suggest, I guess, to teachers who are questioning is just really look at your why, you know, is your goal an awesome performance, which I mean, yeah, but that can't be your only goal. If that's your only goal, then I can't help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if your goal is like really to develop musicians, lifelong music makers, then then that's kind of why you want to take these steps. Mm-hmm. That's so
0: good. Oh, my gosh yeah it's so it's so true it's hard sometimes to be stuck in your ways it's it's not like you're intentionally doing it but it is nerve-wracking trying to do something new but like you said you go back to your why what is the reason behind doing this and it's to reach your students and as you were speaking i was also thinking about you get asked a lot about classroom management and how do you connect with your students or i only see my students for a short period of time and i see every student in the school maybe for elementary music teachers I can see the student-centered approach, this reaching kids who maybe are those hard to reach or hard to connect with students. Mm-hmm. And have you seen that? Have you seen a turnaround from your students since you have been implementing this process more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I mean, I haven't always done this. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. Did not come out of undergrad this way, but yes. I mean, both when I was teaching elementary um, more recently with middle school, because again, it, it connects with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact is like when I was, teaching um, elementary instrumental, a lot of it was just teaching kids how to play their instruments. And I did not really care what they were playing. I had one kid who played Christmas music almost all year long, but that was his choice. And he was constantly trying to do new songs, but, and he was constantly learning new techniques, but he was really interested in Christmas music. (laughs) And then you're going to have the other ones who want to learn the video game music. And they want to learn all of these things that are, that are interesting to them. And you know, so that the the Christmas music kid, he, (laughs) I remember his great teacher coming up to me one day and going, how do you put up with him? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, oh, he's just so difficult. Not, not in my room, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because he was into it. He was interested in it and it, it was meaningful to him. Mm -hmm. Now, did he also learn the songs that we were playing for our concert? Absolutely. Like, did he also do, you know, his concert B flat scale, did he do? Yes, all of that was still part of it. It's not like the only thing the kid did was was play this music of his choosing, but knowing that he could supplement it with that, it worked for him.
0: That's So good. Yeah,
1: it's so good. And that is it just goes
0: back to getting to know your students. And that takes time, especially when you see a billion kids, it is very hard to know what they like. But just listen, they'll tell you have conversations around it. What do you guys want to do in here? Like going back to the study beat example? um, What are other ways you can find study beat? or what's an activity or a song that we've done where we can feel the study beat kids will tell you or even ask them. There's so many playground games and rhymes that they even do at home that they can teach you as well so in an elementary music classroom what does a student-centered music room look like or what are some specific examples for teachers listening today
1: I mean <laughs> sometimes it's gonna look chaotic and loud <laughs> and messy but but not all the time right mm-hmm. because again you're you're giving them those choices um, so we haven't totally gotten into this yet. I, d- I did write a book, kind of on this topic of um, empowering students, called Pass the Baton." My co-author is a sixth, or sorry, a kindergarten through fifth-grade elementary music teacher. So a lot of times I would look to her and be like, oh, "What does this look like in kindergarten?" Because mm-hmm. kindergarten was not my area of expertise, and I'm really very willing to admit that. But so listening to Catherine talk about it, you know, it would be Catherine would have. The, the main ideas of the, of the day. Okay, we need to go through steady beat. We need to sing a welcome song. We need to do, but it would be asking the kids and it wasn't on day one, right? Day one is right. not gonna look student-centered. Day one, you still are establishing routines. You're getting to know each other. Um, maybe, maybe you are asking to hear from each child, right? You're, you're giving those students that, that opportunity to share their voices, but you're establishing those things. And then once you get into it, you're saying, okay, Let's let's do a song tale today. Which one should we do? Or or maybe it's, hey, we've done this one particular activity a lot of times, and I've always been the leader as a teacher. Would somebody else like to be the leader today? And and giving one of the students the chance to to be a leader and to to demonstrate that. Um, Asking kids you know, do you have other examples? Like this song is a really great demonstration of a forte and piano. It it really shows the dynamic. What else have you heard that could you bring something in that demonstrates it? Right. So you're just giving them those opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be huge and this grandiose thing, right. When you start, but you just have to start with something little.
0: Mm -hmm. I was thinking too, about the ripple effect. If you have kindergarten students, And you're creating a student centered classroom and you're empowering them. Imagine what's going to happen when they're first graders and then they get to fifth grade, then they get to middle school music, like how much they're going to feel empowered to become lifelong learners and lovers of music. Like you were saying, the goal is, of course, to teach music, the objectives, they are there, they are required. Yes, we know all that, but in the process, you don't want to just like the kids will not remember. I think back to my elementary music experience even middle and high school band and i can maybe possibly remember two songs i learned but what i do remember my favorite music teachers my high school band director was my favorite teacher ever why it wasn't because he taught us a particular song it was because he made it so engaging you wanted to be there it was just so exciting to be in that room and so i that's the ripple effect that comes from starting them out little with this approach and letting them love music and voice their opinions i can imagine the ripple effect that happens from that so while you're teaching middle school music what what did you see that even from what 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 did you was sixth through eighth grade or do you see that from them as they get older even in middle school too
1: oh somewhat depends on where they start so when I right. My most recent position was a sixth through eighth grade band. Um, We opened a brand new school where the kids came from a number of different places. Mm. (laughs) Some of them were like, what is this crazy lady doing? (laughs) 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 They're like, just stand in front of us and tell us what to do. Yeah. That where they had come from, they were very much used to just doing what they were told. Now, other kids who had come from different programs that were more student-centered, they were excited to share their opinions. They were excited to make suggestions and things like that. So it, it depends, you can see a difference, but like you said, if you start them young and it even goes to like the creativity, right? How often can we give k- kids the opportunity to create? Mm-hmm. Um, if we can start them doing that when they're young, it just feels natural. It feels like what we, this is what we do as musicians. We create music. We, we make up our own things. Yeah we do. So you, you gain a lot of ground when you can start them that way in kindergarten, first grade, and just Mm -hmm. keep building upon it. When you graduated from college
0: with your music education degree, and you were like, all right, I'm going to go in there and do this. And you said it it didn't start for you right away like this, right? And so what was that shift for you where you decided, I want something to change. (laughs) This isn't working. And what was that shift for you like
1: well, I mean, I was, so I was in competitive marching band. I was in drum corps. I was like all of those things that made me that type A band director, right? Mm-hmm. In front of your kids and say, do it this way. Um, and it was, I, it was probably a good like 12 years into my career. And I was teaching at a private school. I was teaching fourth through eighth grade band um, and general music. And because it was such a small school, my lesson groups were like fifth through eighth grade percussion all in one group. And we know that the fifth grader and an eighth grader, right? <laughs> like, right. Totally different. <laughs> I didn't know this at the time. I've only realized like recently, like, oh, so what I was, I was doing is I would have one kid in each corner of the room and they'd each be doing something different based on what they needed. So I've looked back and like, oh, I was starting to, to kind of personalize the learning. Interesting. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then fast forward, when I moved to Virginia. Um, my school was into the idea of personalized learning. And at first they were saying that, um, that we, we couldn't really do that in music. Well, of course that just made me mad. So yeah. they just You want to do it more. <laughs> exactly. But what, what, what they meant was they just didn't know how, so they didn't want. Yeah. Right. But it just got me really interested in this idea. So I started thinking about personalized learning, like how you can give each student what they need and how you can help students Kind of find their own path, and that just brought me thinking like, oh, how do how can I do this for my music students? Right? It doesn't need to be a one size fits all like we've been doing forever. We can start to to look at each each child, give them that voice, give them choice, and that's kind of what started me on the path to Mm -hmm. to understanding what this all meant. Um, So at the beginning, it was a lot of a lot of reading and just watching mostly classroom teachers, not music teachers, because the music teachers weren't doing it yet. Yeah, and just kind of watching what other people were doing and thinking about how that could fit into into my class and how that could benefit my students. Um, And then, honestly, social media was the other big thing, right? Starting to realize on Twitter that, oh, there are other people doing things other than just standing in front of their kids and teaching at them. Mm -hmm. There are people who are taking risks and trying new things. And yeah, it just made me want to do it even more. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah.
0: And a music teacher listening thinking that it does sound like a lot of work. Well, I feel like everything when it comes to teaching is a lot of work, but also it is trial and error. It is not knowing what you're doing at first, but then you just kind of keep trying. You try different things until you find the the magic that just works and clicks. And that I feel like it it's the same with this it'll take a while to figure out what your students need and how to cater to each student in each class period and all those things but it's totally worth it and don't be overwhelmed listening right now it's you know it's not like we're sitting here saying this will happen overnight or you're just going to perfectly be able to do it next year maybe pick one grade level in start just experimenting. Like, what's the grade level you're the most comfortable teaching and start with that and be like, oh, I kind of found some ways I can do this. All right, I'm going to add on, you know, fourth grade now or whatever it might be. Um, I feel like that would be a good way to start. Is that is that
1: some good suggestions,
0: Teresa? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Pick one little thing. And like you were saying about taking those risks, we need to do that and we also need to model it for our students, mm-hmm. right? Like The mm-hmm. kids need to understand that you can take a risk and what happens? Oh, okay, it didn't work. We'll try something different, right? That's something that we need to be modeling to our students anyway. So if we can show them, hey, I'm going to try something new today, it might crash and burn. Let's see how it goes. Be open with your students. And hopefully you've already developed those relationships, right? So you've, you've built this culture where, where you can take a risk and you can be kind of vulnerable in that way so that if it doesn't work, you pivot and you try something different you know, what do they say that, um, that the fail first attempt in learning, right? I mean, and it's only a failure. If you don't try something new afterwards, if you just give up, then, then that's your failure. But if you can try something, try it again, try it again. It's okay. And it's so good for your kids to see that. Mm -hmm
0: yeah your kids need to know that you're human (laughs) you're not going to be perfect and they're going to learn by watching like you said how do you handle these trials or these things that were epic failures let's be honest and how are you going to move forward and you you know even with lessons that you plan you could plan the greatest lesson in the world and sometimes it is not go as well as you in your head thought it was going to go well what do you do with your students you could laugh about it and say well that was a epic fail but what are we going to do instead or you know just like you said banter with your kids have fun with them and relationship building is huge yeah um i would love for you to expand on your book tell us more about pass the baton like what was the inspiration behind writing it and what what is included in there that would really help teachers with this idea we're talking about today
1: Well, I said before that, you know, social media was a big part of of kind of this journey for me. So I actually met my co-author Catherine on Twitter. Oh, we were doing a book study. The book was called The Innovator's Mindset, which I highly recommend anybody read. Um, and through that, there were Twitter chats and there were YouTube lives and there's kind of activity. So Catherine and I met as two of like the only music teachers doing this. And as we were reading the book and as we were learning more, we just kept saying, ah, there needs to be a book about this. There needs to be a book. And then, then it turned into, we need to write a book about this. Oh yeah. And and we did. Um, we just decided that it was it was too important a topic that we really wanted to share the message that that empowering our music students is a good thing. Um, so we you know we wrote our book. It's it's basically in three main sections. The first part just talks about what it is to be empowered and what you know what that means and why it's important for our music students. Like why why do we want that for our music students? And then the next part we broke it down into six different we call them qualities of an empowered music student Um, voice they have choice the students can create. Uh, The students are connected to those outside of the music room, Um, they have the ability to ask questions and find their own answers to those questions and then they truly have ownership of the process. So we go through each quality and talk about some examples of what that could look like in various settings. Again, I'm mostly an instrumental teacher. Catherine's mostly a general music. So we felt like we were able to pull from a lot of different experiences. And then in each chapter, we also interviewed another teacher who was doing something like that, who was doing, you know, had this really cool way of of giving their students voice or of having their students connect. So it also kind of shows that we're not the only crazy ones out there, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the, that there are other teachers doing this, mm-hmm. and then the final section um, just kind of pulls up, pulls in some other little things. We talk about technology and the role that can play in empowering students. Uh, we talk about specifically ensembles, um, what you can do as a teacher to empower yourself, right? Because that's a big part of it too—is taking ownership over what you're doing as a music educator, and then we just wrap it all up. So love it. Yeah, it was. So much fun to write, and it's been so much fun interacting with music teachers over the last few months. It came out in um, November of 2020. But just being able to talk to other teachers, um, you know, we do occasional book studies and things like that. Um, we actually also recently—okay, maybe not recently—I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> every month comes <once> together. <laughs> Time is 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 yeah, it's a little yes. bit. Um we launched a YouTube channel where we've been interviewing music teachers again who are just doing cool things to empower their students. So love it's been fun. it.
0: Oh, that's so fun. I'm so excited about that. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And music teachers listening in, get Teresa's book. It's awesome. You're going to love it. And it's gonna truly help you go like a deep dive into what we're talking about today to really give you some strategies and practical tips. I also love how you said you have interviews with other music teachers who are doing cool things. Uh, I love stories because every music teacher can see themselves in a story of someone that, where they can relate to their experience. And be like, oh my gosh, I have the same teaching experience. I didn't think it would work for me, but this teacher sharing that, so maybe it will. So yeah. that's awesome. What a good idea. This-
1: there's not like a blueprint. It's not like follow these steps and it will work, but hopefully you can, like you said, look at those stories, look at those ideas and be like, oh, so maybe my my class is different a little bit, but I could just tweak it and go like that. Or you know, you can find ways to to take these ideas and, and make them your own, right? Because mm-hmm. again, we're thinking student-centered, mm-hmm. not somebody else's students, your students. Right. How do we make this perfectly fit for your students? I'm so
0: big on that. I say that all the time. You are a unique teacher with your own set of students. And that's why I think comparing teachers comparing themselves to other teachers is silly because you won't do the do things the same way because you don't have their kids. You don't have their teaching style. You don't have their experiences or whatever. And so Yeah, the comparisonitis thing just needs to stop because, like you said, it's your students. Your students need what you are bringing to them. I love that you brought that up. It's so true, and it's so needed, and I will keep preaching that from the rooftops forever. So (laughs) uh, do you have any other advice about what we talked about today or any other things you want to share before we go today?
1: I mean, we've we've said it already, but just I'll say it again because it's that important. Start small you know, take baby steps, find one little thing that you can do differently um, and see what happens. Talk to your students about it. Right. Maybe, maybe you do something where you give them some choices at the beginning of the class. And at the end of class, you say, Hey, what'd you think about that? Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I asked your opinion on this. Did, did you like that? Um, have those conversations. Um, don't be overwhelmed by thinking that you need to be catering your music classes to 500 different students because that that's not going to happen. You're only one person, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in what ways can you can you give them those choices? Can you allow them to be creative so that they're able to to take that ownership on themselves? Right? It's not yeah. you individualizing it. It's allowing them to to take that ownership.
0: That's so good. And where can everybody connect with you after this episode online?
1: Um, So I'm pretty active on Twitter and Instagram. It's just at Musical Teresa, also on Clubhouse, the same, um, with the same username. Um, My website is just www.musicalteresa.com. And then if you're interested in Pass the Baton, We also have the Pass the Baton book website. Um, On there, there are some resources, some like downloadable templates and things like that if you want to grab them. There's also a link to the YouTube channel so you can see some of the different interviews with the other music teachers and just all kinds of fun stuff.
0: Uh, awesome. Everybody, the links are in the show notes. Make sure you check them out and make sure you connect with Teresa because she's awesome and she would love to be of any help or value to you. So connect with her and ask her any questions. If you're listening to this episode and you're like, all right, it was all great tips, but I'm not really sure what my next step is, just reach out to her. I know she is so willing to help and loves to mentor teachers as much as I do. So Teresa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This has been a great conversation. Well, hey there, thank you so much for listening into the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. There is an exclusive Facebook group just for listeners of this podcast and any elementary music teacher called the Elementary Music Teacher Community Facebook Group. Come on over and join us there where we have conversations around the podcast episodes and encourage each other each and every week. And also head to my website, thedomesticmusician.com. I have some free resources there that you can download to help you gain traction in your classroom today as well as the blog and the membership site and all kinds of other goodies to help you keep going in your music teaching journey. I cannot wait to keep connecting with you and encouraging you and spurring you on in your journey of teaching elementary music. Hang in there. Have an amazing week and I will see you soon.